listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. James, in James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Be not just hearers of the word and deceive yourselves. Be doers of the word. Be doers of the word, lest you deceive yourselves. In John chapter 13, verse 17, Jesus said, You'll be blessed if you do these things, blessed if you put the Word of God into action. So I'd like us to look at the Word of God in Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 5, as we continue through our series through the entire Gospel of Luke. And what we're looking at doing, as we look at this particular passage about the end times, we're looking at how we should live our lives in light of the future. How should we live our lives in light of the future? Luke 21, verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he, Jesus, said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives." But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant And for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. 
And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Make no mistake about it. That's the title that Jesus used about himself. The title that he used most frequently was the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying, you will see me returning. Verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them the parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the whole earth. But stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. You know, some people are so end times minded, there are no good here and now. There are absolutely no use here and now. Here Jesus is talking about the end times. I've had people tell me for the past three years, when are you going to do a series on the end times? When are you going to speak on the end times? Well, if we simply preach through the word of God, we'll talk about the end times. And here we are in Luke 21. And I don't want to rush through Luke 21. This is our third message in Luke 21. We're breaking it down, taking it very slowly because Jesus is speaking about the end times. And so here's your opportunity. Here's my opportunity. Here's our opportunity to look at what Jesus taught, what Jesus teaches about the end times, and then to ask this question. So what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my family? What's it mean for my church? What does it mean for this nation? See, anytime we teach about the end times, the purpose is not simply to study and to learn more and to be more educated and to get more knowledge. The idea is not so that we can be more educated and more knowledgeable to have debates with people or pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, pre-millennial, amillennial, post-millennial. To get all into heated debates about this type of a discussion. To figure out that we have it all figured out. Any teaching on the end times, the purpose of it is to help us live before the end times in the midst of the end times. Now, if we were to take a look at Acts chapter 2, when Peter gives his message on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 plus get saved, except Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He says that in the last days, and then he exposits Joel chapter 2. And so there's a very real sense in which we've been living in the last days ever since 
the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. There are many people who are so end times focused, so end times fixated, that they are of absolutely no good, no use, no productivity, spiritually speaking, in the here and now. And when we look at this passage of Scripture, in particular verses 20 through 24, that's what we're going to zero in on. I'd like us to take a look at what this means for your life, what this means for my life. Imagine that. (laughs) Imagine the Bible actually having relevance for your life and for mine. Even when the Bible is speaking about days that are not yet upon us, days that are going to come upon us because Jesus promised they were coming, they're on the horizon, there's relevance and practicality and opportunity for your life to change, for my life to change. That's why we take time to look at what Jesus teaches about the end times. Look at verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem... Surrounded by armies, then know that it's desolation or it's devastation, it's destruction, it's depopulation is near. That's what that word desolation means. Devastation, destruction, depopulation, annihilation. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that it's desolation has come near. Look at verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and America will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Is that what it says? Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until what Jesus says, the prophetically, eschatologically significant phrase, the times of the Gentiles, until that particular time is fulfilled. If we want to understand where we are in the prophetic time clock, if we want to understand where we are in the end times agenda of Almighty God, we look at the nation of Israel. We look at Jerusalem. That's what we look at. The reason why there's so much of a buzz and talk today about are we in the end times, it's bad biblical interpretation. We've been in the end times since Acts chapter 2. In the last days, Joel says, Peter quotes it and says, this is that. If you're alive today, you're called to live with a last day's mentality. No matter what day of the week it might be. All this talk about the last days and the end times is simply because the United States of America is being shaken up. There are people in other parts of the world who have been in the process of being shaken up for decades and centuries. And it just goes to show that we are so American-centric, so self-centered in our worldview, we do not really understand what it means to have a biblical worldview. If you want to understand where we are in the prophetic end times agenda of Almighty God, you look at the nation of Israel. You look at what's happening to Jerusalem. That's why Jesus says in verse 20, look at the city that is involved here. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. 
Now, I love the fact that some are calling for a constitutional convention in the United States of America. I love that because our nation is in crisis, and it seems like the Constitution, which is supposed to be the rudder of our nation, is being trampled upon and has been trampled upon, and it's been marginalized and considered as being insignificant. It's time we dust that document off, rediscover what it teaches and why it teaches what it teaches, and begin living according to the Constitution. Now, you might say, I can be a Christian in the United States of America and not necessarily support the Constitution. I'm going to challenge that thinking in just a moment. We will get there. Last time I checked, I am a Christian who lives in the United States of America, and I am an American citizen. And when we look at Romans chapter 13, verse 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, let's look there. There's some significant, important teaching for us to understand as Christians who live in America. If you are an American who lives in the United States and you are a Christian who lives in the United States, you need to understand what the Bible teaches about how we are to respect government, follow government, submit to government, pray for the government. Because the bottom line is, if we keep our eyes closed and we keep sleeping when we should be awake, pretty soon you'll have to submit to and obey and pray for a government that is not partial, is not friendly to the advancement of the gospel. Are you getting political? No, I'm being theological. And I'm going to show you from God's word. Look with me at Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So God gives us the government. In the book of Judges, we see that God raises up leaders like the people as a means of judging and disciplining and getting the attention of the people. And so government is instituted by God. Now look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, that would be a leader, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Look at verse 4. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, if we were to read verse 5, I'll read you verse 5. It says this, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So when a professor at Wheaton College stands up and says that Muslims worship the same God as Christians and Christians who are reading the Bible and who are not members of the nighttime Bible reading society, reading the Bible with one eye closed, lights off, sunglasses on, and missing what the Bible teaches, it should be obvious to everybody based on this verse alone. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Ask a Muslim if they believe that Jesus is the only mediator between them and Allah. Ask 
a Muslim if they believe that God has a son? They will tell you no. Do you want me to spend the next 30 minutes going on and on about that point, or should this be sufficient? Muslims and Christians do not worship the same God. When a man in Philadelphia with a previous criminal record who shouldn't have had access to a gun that was stolen anyway, let's get the facts straight, concerns me when the people who have the guns want to take away guns from those who have them. Always be leery of that. When the people who have the guns want to take away the guns from the law-abiding people, we've got a big problem. But when a man in Philadelphia takes the life of a police officer because he believes that the United States and the government has instituted laws that are against Sharia law, don't let yourself be persuaded and connived and fooled into thinking that that is an extreme position. That is the dedicated position that is the definition of what it looks like to have jihad, whether it's through the educational system, whether it's through the political system, by running for office, or whether it's through overt violence. Jihad is a war against the rulers of whatever government or system you might be a part of as a Muslim, and you are called upon by the teachings of Islam to be aggressive in overturning any and every system, any and every leader, any and every law that inhibits and prohibits the exercise of Sharia law. That's the way it works. So a dedicated Muslim, we don't want to say radical, a dedicated Muslim understands Jihad. Some might not be willing to steal a gun and use a gun on that type of act of crime, but they would be willing to run for office and they would be willing to undermine the Constitution and they would be willing to rewrite history to try to say that this nation was not founded upon Judeo Christian values and Judeo Christian teaching. We'll get to Jerusalem in just a second. But I want you to understand what Romans 13, 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 are saying for you and for me. First of all, 1 Timothy 2, 1, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the truth? For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. Before you write off your involvement in the political system, in the education system, in the media, in the church, and you Say, well, we shouldn't be talking about that at church. We just did talk about it in church. First Timothy chapter two. Would you rather offer prayers and supplications and intercessions and submit to a government that does not want what verse four and verse five says? For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 
Verse four, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Would you rather be submissive to and praying for a government that's not interested in advancing that or one that is? I'm glad that people are calling for a constitutional convention in the United States of America, and you should be too. Because the Constitution of the United States of America was created to help us have freedom and liberty to preach this book, to live this book, yes. A government that becomes hostile to Christian values is a government that will become hostile to what we just read here in the Word of God. You need to pray, I need to pray, we need to work, we need to be about God's business to make sure that whatever form of government we are under, we are submitting to, we are praying for and praying about, that form of government desires and allows all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's good that people get concerned about government encroachment. It's good that people are concerned about property rights, which is actually in the Constitution, private property being owned by individuals. That's why this country was founded. That's why that's in the Constitution. Do you know why? The whole amendment that is there about the right to keep and bear arms is there because the founding fathers knew that if they didn't have arms, they would end up in the same situation that they were in in England, where an oppressive government that had arms, acting tyrannically, acting oppressively, would take away more and more of the rights of the people, tax them to death oppress them to death, put them in a box, hinder their religious freedoms. And so America was founded with the idea of coming to this nation and having the right to worship God and to serve him and to honor him and to be protected from tyranny. That's why it was founded. I'm glad that many of you men are beginning to wake up. Many families are beginning to wake up to what's happening in the nation. And you're beginning to realize we better start speaking up about these things because if we don't, maybe the world that I live in, maybe the cert for certain the world that my children will live in, the country that my children will live in, will be radically, dramatically different. Certainly, the country that our grandchildren live in will be radically and dramatically different. But the thing that we don't seem to understand in, in our families and as men the nation is the macro, it's the big picture of what's happening in the micro of our families. We don't see leadership at a national level because we don't see leadership at a local level. It's good that you get excited about freedom and liberty, but are you leading in your family? Are you honoring your spouse in your family? Are you praying through the word of God, submitting to the word of God in your family and in your private life? Because we can talk about the big picture of what's happening in the nation all we want, but until we really start addressing what is happening in your life, in your family, in your business, in your neighborhood, under your roof, 
What's happening in the nation will continue. We have got to let God get our lives together. Get your stuff together. Get your stuff together. Let God get your stuff together. Do you understand that what is happening in this nation is simply a result of what is happening underneath your roof and my roof? I don't want to hear you getting excited about what's happening at the nation until I hear you getting excited about what's happening in your family and in your marriage and with your children and with your parents. This nation needs a revival. Yesterday, yesterday. And the revival we need is not out there Don't expect it to happen in the White House or in the Houses of Congress. Expect it to happen in your house and in this house, the house of Almighty God. If we want to understand where we are in the prophetic end times scheme of things, we don't look at what's happening in America. We look at what's happening in the nation of Israel, in the city of of Jerusalem. Jesus is talking about really two aspects here in Luke chapter 19. Look with me. He says something in Luke 19, the immediacy within their generation or close to it. Look at what he spoke about here when he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem in Luke 19, 41. When he drew near to the city and he saw the city, he wept over it saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem that was fulfilled in 70 AD where the Gentiles, the Romans, actually fulfilled that passage of Scripture, that prophecy of Scripture, where the stones of the temple, not one was left upon another. And those are the stones that the disciples are commenting about when we read Luke 21, verse 5, while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus interrupts this broadcast for an important announcement. Watch yourselves. Don't become enamored with anything except me. There's a sense in which Jesus is talking about in that particular day and age, about the destruction of Jerusalem, and then in a day and in an age to come. Because not all of these things that Jesus speaks about in Luke 21 were fulfilled in 70 AD. And Jesus is speaking in true prophetic fashion. The Old Testament prophets, when they spoke prophetically, oftentimes gave a prophecy that would be applicable in their particular day, fulfilled in their particular day and their particular lifetime so that people would know to hold on 
and not just hold on, but to live out their faith because the ultimate fulfillment was coming apart from their lifetime in future generations. And I want to suggest to you that it seems that this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation, its devastation, its destruction, its depopulation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance, punishment to fulfill all that is written. Let's look at that in just a moment. What was written? Alas, or how difficult it will be for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people, in particular, against the Jewish people. Against the Jewish people. So as an American... And a Christian who lives in America, it's important to pray for the government, submit to the government, and work for a government that is going to give us the greatest opportunity to, without hindrance, freely proclaim the living, timeless, matchless, priceless word of God. More importantly than that, it's important to pray for and submit to a government that allows us to live the teachings of this timeless, priceless, matchless word of God, the Bible. Because you and I are required, we are commanded by God to pray for and submit to and to honor leaders and governments whether they do that or not whether they do that or not. And if we keep waiting, we might find ourselves in an even more uncomfortable situation where the liberties that many gave their lives for us to have are no longer there to either defend or enjoy. But all of this talk about what's happening in the United States and that's getting us all agitated and all excited, it's, it really reveals a very self-centered, me, myself, and I, unbiblical, narcissistic approach to Scripture and a narcissistic approach to God himself. See, the follower of Jesus Christ is concerned about the plan and the agenda of God. The plan and the agenda of God. If we look at the scriptures about the Davidic covenant, we see that the whole plan of God revolves around the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And that in order for God to get the attention of the Jewish people, there is coming a day or days of vengeance, days of punishment, days of discipline in the immediate sense that happened in 70 AD where the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders were disciplined by the hand of Almighty God in the first fulfillment of this scripture when the temple was destroyed, when Jerusalem was destroyed. We read that in Luke chapter 19. But that's not the totality of what Jesus was and what Jesus is referring to. The ultimate fulfillment, the days of vengeance or the day of vengeance or in that day, 
spoken of, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 39. Look with me at Ezekiel chapter 39. We don't have time to exhaust all of this, but we do have time to help whet our appetite and help us appreciate the prophetic, eschatological, end times significance of God's people, the Jewish people, and the nation of Israel, and the city of Jerusalem in Ezekiel 39, 23. And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they dealt so treacherously with me that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries and they all fell by the sword. See, nobody, even though God has callings on people's lives, called the Jewish people, his standard is without compromise. And when we stray from the leading of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God. God has at his disposal a multitude of ways to bring us back into alignment, to get our attention again. In Zechariah chapter 12, the first four verses say this. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. Now, Jerusalem has been under siege throughout time. This is talking about a particular siege in the future, in the same way that Jesus was speaking about it in Luke 21 and Matthew 24 and Mark 13. Verse 3, On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness, but for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. If you want to understand where we are in the end times scheme of things, you look at what's happening in Jerusalem. You look at what's happening with the nation of Israel. We understand that the days that are coming, the days of vengeance... The day of vengeance, or in that day, as it's spoken of in different times. See, a day can refer to a series of days where you're talking about the whole grouping together, a season. Or a day can speak about a particular day. So the day of vengeance, or the days of vengeance, or in that day, all refer to the same thing, where God focuses his attention on the nation of Israel, the people in Jerusalem, to extend his heavy hand, to get their attention, to fulfill his prophetic end times agenda. Now look at what Luke says in Luke 21. He describes a little bit here, and then we're going to look at Matthew 24 to get a bigger picture here as well. In verses 21 through 23, he says, let those, this is the, the way, this is the characteristic way of what it will be like in these days of vengeance, in that day, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Some of what was written 
we just looked at in Ezekiel and Zechariah. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In Matthew 24, Jesus is recorded as explaining, some have postulated that this is the same discourse, the same message that Jesus preached in Luke 21. It's recorded this way by Luke, recorded this way by Matthew. Others have postulated that Jesus probably spoke about this series of events on multiple occasions. When we read the whole Bible, we understand this part interprets that part, and that part interprets this part, we get a fuller picture. Here's the difficulty of what the days of vengeance will look like. In that day when God turns his attention to punish the discipline, the people of Jerusalem, the Jewish people. Matthew 24, verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's how bad it will be. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, so Jesus is referencing the Old Testament Scripture, particularly Daniel 9, 27, Jesus is sticking very closely to the Old Testament. Jesus seems to believe that the Old Testament is true. Jesus seems to believe that it's noteworthy to follow the teachings of the prophets. Jesus seems to be convinced that what was prophesied about in Daniel is actually going to be fulfilled. So who am I to say it's not going to be fulfilled? Who is anyone to say it's not serious, it's not something to take serious? Just make sure that when we take it seriously, we don't just let it affect our mental state of being and hold on for dear life. It's not about holding on for dear life, it's about reaching out for dear life and reaching people who are lost until the end of the end of the end. That's why he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There's nothing in the Bible about a hunkering down and holding out and just letting all the world go to hell. Literally speaking, while we wait for the end to come, no, this gospel... This great news of salvation and forgiveness of sins through the person and the works of Jesus Christ that was advanced in a quantum leap on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people got saved, of which you and me are a part of today as a saint, sanctified, saved by faith in Jesus Christ. This gospel has been given to you and to me in the meantime, in these last days, to go out and tell people Go out and spread the news. That's the problem with end times teaching. People know so much about the end times that it, re, it re, results in this exact opposite response of what should be happening. Because things are so terrible, all the time must be near. The rapture must be near. Is Jerusalem surrounded by her enemies yet? In this way? Is Jerusalem so devastated and depopulated in the way that Jesus describes here in Luke 21. And we must not be at the very end. 
And if we're not at the very end of the end times, then we better take care of our part in the midst of the end times, which is to reach out and give people the hope of the gospel. In your family, at your workplace, in this church, many of us are too busy being distracted and diverted. We had a talk in our family just this past week about how difficult it is to do the most important things in life because we're so distracted. We've got dishwashers. We've got washing machines and dryers. We have cars, automobiles. Most of us drive a nicer car than most people in other countries, for Pete's sake. We have nice houses. We have computers. We have televisions. All of these things designed to free up more time. What has happened to our time in these end times? We get so concerned about America and our way of life, and we're not concerned about the lives of the lost. Thank God that you've got the car that you've got, the house that you've got, the televisions that you've got, the PlayStation. We just upgraded to a PlayStation 2. Those of you who don't know, there's PlayStation, what, 20 right now? I don't know what it is. Four? PlayStation 4. My son is telling me, PlayStation 4. (laughs) He reminds me of that every time we look at the PlayStation 2. I'm afraid that we are missing out the golden opportunity that we have here and now. While our nation is undergoing a fundamental transformation, many of us are holding out and waiting to just be taken out of here. Instead of having the biblical attitude and the biblical lifestyle of thank God that you've got a washing machine, thank God that you've got a dryer, thank God that you've got a microwave, all of those things were designed to give us more time. Use that time to advance the gospel. Use that time in these end times. Listen, it's the beginning of a new year. Many of us need to so radically adjust our time that it needs to make us uncomfortable. It needs to make us uncomfortable. Many of us are too busy. That's why our nation is going to hell in a handbag. That's why we're seeing political leaders rise up who don't have Christian values, don't care about Christian values. Oh, they care about Christian values. They want to see them eradicated. That's where we're seeing leaders and school teachers and people in the media try to revise history because we believers, followers of Jesus Christ are too busy to run for office. We're too busy to be a teacher of influence. We've pulled out of the parent-teacher association and we've homeschooled. Now we're at a position, many of us, where we have to homeschool because the public schools are in such bad situation. Praise God for the teachers in the public school and the administrators in the public school who are on those front lines trying to do their best, towing the line, fighting with their backs up against the wall, trying to be salt and light. It's hard when you're the last man standing, the last woman standing. And glory to Almighty God for those who are trying to be salt and light in an increasingly dark educational system. I'm telling you, If we don't start making massive, strategic, 
fundamental changes in our lives and how we're spending our time as families and how we're spending our time as men. Men, you want to build something? We love to build things, don't we? I love to just as much as you. It's time that we start building the kingdom of God. You want something that's going to last? You want something that's a good return for your investment? Don't look at the stock market. We got off to the slowest, worst start in the history of the stock market. In the history of the entire stock market. This year is the worst start of the stock market since its beginning. You want something that's good to invest in? You want something that's good to build? The kingdom of God. You want something to pour yourself into? We need to spend less time doing other things and more time doing eternally significant things. That means this week you should be going home. You should be sitting down. You should be evaluating. You should be talking with your spouse, talking with your children, talking with your parents. You should be talking and saying, you know what? I do have a lot of time. The problem is I've filled up all my time with other stuff. Stuff that's not eternally significant. And you know what? Would you rather hear this from Almighty God when it's too late to make a change? Or would you rather hear it from me, an idiot, while there's still time to change? How many of you would like to hear it from the idiot? That's what I thought. Preach it, idiot. Make the changes. Start leading in your family. Start living a biblical life. Start reading the Bible. Start putting the Bible into action. Do not merely be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, James 1.22 says. You want to be blessed? Jesus says you'll be blessed if you do these things. John 13, 17. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on his housetop not go down to take what is in his house and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Sounds strikingly like Luke 21, doesn't it? Because this passage helps us fill in the blanks and fill in the gaps to understand what it's like. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So how bad is it going to be? So bad that it will be unparalleled in the history or in the future, afterward, and that's the, the period that we call theologically the tribulation. The days of vengeance in that day. So bad that God Almighty had to cut them short. So deceptive. You think it's bad what's happening in this nation now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And if you and I keep doing nothing as salt and light, we might be part of the problem. How bad? That bad. 
But yet I remind you, yet we're reminded by the word of God, if we want to understand where we are in the prophetic end times scheme of things, we look at what's happening to the nation of Israel, we look at what's happening to Jerusalem, and now we look back at Luke 21 and verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles. Look with me at 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, verse 10, it says this. Concern in chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Peter 1, 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched intently and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets. Listen to this, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Old Testament prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit writing for your benefit and mine. The things of salvation, there's a idea presented in scripture where with the passing of time things become clearer and clearer i'm sure there were people who thought in 70 a.d that what jesus prophesied about in terms of the destruction of jerusalem was all taking place right then and there i'm sure there are people today who think that because the moon changed colors four times we'll talk about that next time about the signs in the sun, signs in the moon, signs in the heavens. There are people who think that this must be that, and the end is here. Are you busy about God's business? That's what we should be focusing on, because God has the future. Today belongs to you and me as the saints of God. Today belongs to us to partner with Almighty God to make hay while the hay is growing to lead people to Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, as we look about this times of the Gentiles, what does that mean? Paul says this in Ephesians 4, verse 3, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Sounds similar to what Peter was saying in 1 Peter as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Wow. See, that's significant to understand. That's tremendously significant to understand that up to the time of the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, this idea of God en masse treating Gentiles and Jews equally as, the, as people who could receive the gift of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. That was a mystery. Now it's not a mystery. We look at anybody, whatever they've done in their past, whatever they might be doing in their present, Jew, Gentile, whatever it might be, black, white, yellow, red, bald, hairy, male, female. Christ is for anybody. Everybody can be saved. But in Paul's day, on the day of Pentecost, it was a huge deal 
to comprehend that this gospel was not only for the Jewish people, but for all people. That was a mystery. And then we get to this teaching in Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. See, Paul is talking about the times of the Gentiles. He talks about it in Ephesians. He talks about it here in Romans. Verse 25 of chapter 11, lest you be wise in your own sight. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, the times of the Gentiles. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, reference to Jesus. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they, the people of Israel, are enemies of God for your sake, the Gentiles. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of the forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And what is that a reference to? Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, all of the teaching of the Old Testament where God would establish his throne and the land and the kingdom of the people of Israel. It's significant that today we have a Jerusalem, today we have an Israel about which these scriptures can now apply. Do you know that there wasn't always, it was for a very long time. There was no nation of Israel, but it has been reestablished at least in part. In the times of the Gentiles that Jesus is speaking of in Luke chapter 21, what Paul is speaking about in Romans chapter 11, what Paul is referring to in Ephesians chapter 3, help us understand that the days of the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles are this parenthetical, this in-between day of days. This in-between season where in the beginning salvation is for the Jew first and then to the Gentile. God began with the message on the day of Pentecost, God-fearing Jews got saved. If you read the book of Acts, it was a significant thing when Peter says, get up and eat. Lord, I've never eaten an unclean thing. I'm not taking the gospel to the non- Jewish people. That's what that story is about, about God telling Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. It wasn't about unclean animals. It was about going to a people that the Jewish people considered unclean. Up to that point, where were they meeting? Solomon's colonnade. But the church age, the times of the Gentiles, is the day and age in which we live right now. That day and age will come to an end when the days or the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then Romans chapter 11 kicks in and God turns, think of it as bookends. In the beginning, the Jewish people. In the middle, the non-Jewish people. And in the end, back to the Jewish people. So that when we get to the book of Revelation and we read, I know this is disappointing news for the Jehovah's Witnesses out there, the 144,000 where it specifically says 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, 12,000 from that tribe. These are the tribes of the Jewish people that add up to 144,000. This is a second Pentecost event that's spoken of in the book of Revelation. The end will not come until 
the gospel is preached to all nations. And guess who's involved in the preaching of the gospel? The Jewish people. Read the book of Revelation. The 144,000 are Jewish saints, Jews who get saved at the latter part of the last days and go forth and fulfill the Great Commission. The times of the Gentile or that time that we live in right here and right now. And you and I need to remember, it's good to talk about the end times. It's important to see what the Bible teaches about the end times. But some people are so end times focused, they miss the point and they're no use to God right here and now. The purpose of studying the end times is to right now, in the midst of the end times, get busy extending the truth about salvation and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ while we have time in the midst of these end times. And if we don't understand that as the saints of God living in the times of the Gentiles and we're not reading our Bibles and we're not doing God proud and we don't simply understand what our lives in the meantime are to be focused on. Our lives are to be focused on the agenda of Almighty God, the advancement of the kingdom of God for all people everywhere, Jew and Gentile, to be led to the feet of the only Savior, Jesus Christ. He's forgiven sins then. He forgives sins now. He's always God's appointed Savior. And you and I need to adjust our lives in the midst of these last days, in the times of the Gentiles, to lead people to Christ and to adjust all of our lives around this agenda of Almighty God. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.